We're beginning tonight in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse number 1. Uh, we're going to go in verse number 1 and 2 as we begin. The Word of God says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service in other words god saying it's not unreasonable for him to ask you to give yourself to him not in a moment but not in a day but in a day-by-day daily manner of living that we live as a sacrifice unto god god's not looking for us to put an extra twenty dollars in the tip jar and live how we want to live and and not ever be inconvenienced by God. One of the greatest hallmarks that you're ready to be grown in the Lord is that you're willing to be inconvenienced by the Spirit of God. That He might ask you to go uh, tell somebody you're sorry when you didn't do anything wrong, or He may have you to go and reconcile with somebody who doesn't you in your mind deserve to be reconciled with. God may may stir in your heart. And we have to be willing to be inconvenienced for God. Amen. How many of you know that his ways are higher than our ways? The Bible says his ways are higher than our ways. It may not make sense to us, but we said we don't have the mind of God, but we've been given the mind of Christ. That is the mind of a servant. It says, according to your will, I'll do it. However you want me to do, I'll do it. I submit to you. You lead me, you guide me, and you got me. But so many times we exalt our minds against God and we say, well, that's not reasonable. That's not how I would do it. You don't understand what they did to me. You don't understand how they treat me. And if I go and, you know, do this for them, they're going to take advantage of me. But we don't understand what God is doing sometimes. We don't understand what the other person's going through. We don't understand their battles, and we don't understand that whenever we become sacrificial in our living to God and we present ourselves as a, as a sacrifice unto God, which is our reasonable service, when we do that, we become a vessel that God can use to break hard hearts. We become a vessel that God can use to open the eyes of the blind. We will become a light in a dark world so long as we're God's. Once we begin to say, well, you know what, pastor's kind of cray-cray. You know, he gets a little excited and he asks a little bit too much of us. I'll come, I'll come so far, but that's it. I'm not going all the way. How many of you know God wants you to go all the way? How many of you know that Jesus went all the way for you? Jesus lived before heaven. He created heaven. Heaven is a place that angels live. He created it. He was there before the angels. He always was. He always is. And he always will be. And he, he, cre he created heaven and he, he transversed the universe to come to you. He came all the way to you. And he bled for you. And he rose from the dead so that you can have a new life. And he's coming back for his bride. He went all the way. And, and I believe that it is, as the word of God says, our reasonable service to go all the way for God. It says here that we are called, charged, uh, beseeched to present our bodies a living sacrifice. 
This is uh, meaning that there's never a moment of my life that doesn't belong to God. I'm not going to carve out 10 minutes after midnight for myself. Everything belongs to Him. I, I, I'm not going to say, you know what, Lord, I'll pick this up with you later, but i got to go handle this. Everything that we do is His, and, and, and we sometimes forget this, this beautiful principle, but, you know, God, uh, minister said one time that the fire doesn't fall on altars, it falls on sacrifices. And if you wonder why there's no fire of God in your life, it may be because you're not putting anything on that altar for God to, to, to empower it may be because we're withholding from God, we're withholding from God that which He needs. Amen. It's kind of hard for you. You know, we we lost power. We didn't have heat and all that ice storm and all that, and we had all we had was firewood. It'd have been really hard to light a fire without firewood. Now with God, all things are possible. Amen. But I, I, I you know, I was trying to huff and puff. I couldn't do anything. But I had to have firewood. We were scrambling for it. But when we got it, you know what? We got a fire. And if you're wondering why in your own life it's dead and dormant, I promise you it's not because God don't work no more. I promise you it's not because God's run out of power. I promise you it's not because God doesn't move in churches anymore. And you know what? God wants to pour out his spirit upon America. God wants to pour out his spirit upon the churches in our land. He want, you know that God wants to pour out his spirit upon you and upon your family, upon your kids, your grandkids, your neighbors. God wants to pour out his spirit upon these schools. But what are we bringing to God? We're too busy signing people up for our favorite political party or a potluck dinner than putting ourselves on our face before God and pouring out our hearts before Him and giving ourselves over to our God. When we rely on, 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 on things like psychology and, and potluck dinners and not pouring out our hearts on our face before God, we are missing the mark. And we wonder why the church has today institutionalized a theatrical production. Lights, camera, action. It's no wonder why so many have relied on lights, camera, action because we're all talk. It's all smoke and mirrors. That's why you have to have lights and cameras. In action. That's why you have to have the mood lighting. I promise you the Holy Spirit doesn't need mood lighting. The Holy Spirit doesn't need bright LED lights to set the mood in our churches. And he doesn't need us to, we don't have to install dimmers for the power of God to fall. If we'll just get on our face before God and pour out our hearts before God and present ourselves before Him, God will do an exceedingly, abundantly great thing in our day and in our generation. God has not quit. 
But I want you to see that it's our reasonable service that God's called us to do this, this living sacrifice. And it's, it is talking about our bodies. And, you know, it's not just a, a theological formality that's in our head, between our ears. It's not just some theoretical situation that we're talking about. We're talking about in practicality, in, in, in technical terms. We're talking about just getting real with God and giving Him all that we are. Not in theory, but in reality. That we, that, we, that we give him ourselves in the way that we treat one another, the way, that we, the way that we raise our children or the way that we mentor those younger generations under us or the way that we, the way that we worship the Lord. Everything that we do is supposed to be his. And it's reasonable. God's not being unreasonable by asking us to give ourselves because he gave himself to us. I mean, it, he, it still wouldn't be unreasonable even if he didn't. Because God can ask us to do anything. He's God. He's the boss. But the fact, that, the fact that he gave all, the fact that he gave everything for us, the fact that he laid down his life for us, the fact that he was willing to be humiliated and dwell in flesh and allow those Roman soldiers to pierce his body and to nail him to that tree so that he could empty out his holy blood for us, the fact that he did that calls into question our motives when we don't understand this reality. It is not unreasonable to give ourselves to God. This is our holy duty. And in fact, this, this is one of those things that we're not going to be able to do once we get to glory. This is one of those things that is our honor, our pleasure. The angels in heaven look down upon us because we can give something to God that they can't. We can walk by faith and not by sight. We're believing without seeing. We're walking in New Testament reality. But too many people have their minds in Mayberry, in the TV set, than in the reality of the circumstance that God has placed us in. It says that we are called to present ourselves a living sacrifice holy. Acceptable to God. Holiness is one of those things that we don't talk about in the church world anymore. I understand. But you know what? God's old-fashioned. He don't change. He's old-fashioned. He's out of style. Amen? He's out of style. He's old-fashioned. You know what? But, but it's those old paths that God has anointed. You don't have to invent, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to go and say, you know what? I found out a new invention. I found out a wheel. I'm going to go see if I can patent it down at the United States Patent Office. You can't reinvent the wheel. And you can't reinvent the way that God works. He works in those old paths. In, in those ancient ways that he always has. He works through the power of the Spirit, through faith in the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ. He works today just like he did yesterday. And it's reasonable for us to give ourselves to God. It's not unreasonable. When, if, if, if we get into a place where we believe that it is unreasonable, what it shows is that we have put our minds, we've exalted our minds above God. 
you know, that's that, you know, Brother Kenny, it sounds good. It's a beautiful verse, uh, you know, good sermon, whatever, Brother Kenny. But you know what? Um, that's really asking a little too much because you don't understand what it's like to live with my spouse or you don't understand what it's like to live with my parent. You don't understand what it's like to, to, to go to school where I go to school or work where I work. You don't understand the pressure I'm under. Maybe you don't understand how awesome God is. Maybe you haven't met the God that Daniel knew. Maybe you haven't met that God yet. Maybe you just haven't, you know, come to that realization that your God's bigger than your problem. David knew that as a child. David knew that no matter how big the enemy was, no matter how bold he was, no matter how braggadocious the enemy was, his God was bigger. I just can't get over this, Brother Kenny. Well, God can. God's bigger than the problem. God's bigger than the problem. We may not see the expectation overnight. It may take us believing in a season, seed, time, and harvest. We may have to wait. But if we believe and hold on, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God is faithful. And God will bring his promises to pass in your life. Don't stop praying for people. Don't stop preaching to people. Don't stop laying hands on the sick. Don't stop believing that miracles are still possible because God still works. So it's not unreasonable for us to give ourselves wholly and completely over to God, presenting ourselves to him. And in, in, in reality, uh, just to get into practical terms, this is that place where we lay uh, something and you can uh, lay prostrate before God in your in your mind. You, you, sometimes you need to get on your face before God, but some of us, you know, we may not be able to get back up. That's okay. But you can, you, you know, John Newton said that. He said that, you know, it's good to be on your knees in prayer, but sometimes you just got to be on, 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 on the knees of your heart in prayer. Sometimes you just got to get into that place where you stay humble before God. Amen? That's what God wants. That's what God wants. And if you'll get in a habit of saying, every day I've got to get into that place where I just give it all back over to Him every day and just let Him have it all. Let Him have, have all that I am and just lay before Him. And sometimes we don't have to bring our Santa Claus list. Sometimes we don't have to bring our list of, you know, can, the, can my favorite team win the Super Bowl? Can my, can my quarterback stay healthy? And, 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 and oh, by the way, help my kid get A's this year. Instead of bringing our Santa Claus list, sometimes we just need to sit before God and listen to his heartbeat. Get in tune with God. You know, when you got saved, you loved God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And God hasn't changed. The same God you fell in love with is still alive today. The same God you hit your knees and you confessed all, and you clung to that cross, that's the same God that's alive today, He hasn't changed. We change. We change. There's times that we go through and we give God less than we did yesterday. And there's times that we get burned or, or the promise doesn't come when we want it to come. 
And then we stop believing, we stop trusting, and yeah, we really don't care for that song leader, we really don't care for that pastor, we really don't care for this, we really don't care for that, and we pull back, pull back, pull back, until we're just a figment of what we once were. It's not unreasonable to get back to that place where we give God all. He's worth it. He gave us all. And we're going to come back to that place where we're giving all back to him. God's going to do a work in this generation. In the, in, in, in the moment when all hope seems lost, God's going to come on the scene and do a work. He's going to revive in the desert. He's going, he's going to revive fountains from the deep in desert places. He's going to do a work in a generation, in a church that wouldn't know the truth if it hit them in the face. We live in a wicked generation. And it's getting more wicked by the day. It's not going to get better by having better stage productions in our churches. Only the power of God, only the power of God is going to change this generation. So he says that we're called to present ourselves holy and acceptable to God. Let me touch on that. It just went real brief over that. But holiness is, it, it, it is not uh, preached. It is not uh, something that people highly esteem anymore. But God said without holiness, no man will see him. This is what he said in Hebrews chapter 12. Without holiness, no man's going to see the Lord. And holiness is, it is when, when God's way has rubbed off on you. That's what holiness is. When God's way is rubbed off on you. You know, you get around some people and they got some peculiar ways and you get around them long enough and you start acting like they do. But you know what? If we'll sit at the feet of the Lord like Mary did, let everybody else get worried and cumbered about by the flour and the dishes and, the, and, and, and sweeping the floor. Let everybody else get cumbered about by the duties of, of, of the day. But Mary took that time to sit at his feet and listen to his heartbeat. And if we'll sit at his feet and listen to his heartbeat daily and lay prostrate before him, we will become holy. We will begin to, to live holy lives. We will begin to live set apart. Holiness means to be set apart. It means to be uncommon. Uncommon. Our generation today, the church is doing everything it can do to be like the world. This is the reverse of holiness. Holiness is when you're coming out of the world. Holiness is when you're, you're, you're separated from the world. You don't laugh at the world's jokes. You don't watch the world's TV shows. You don't listen to their music. It's amusing because sometimes, you know, these people, uh, worldly actors or singers or whatever, they'll get in trouble, they'll do politics, they'll pass away. Who is this? I don't know. Why is this relevant? I don't know. But some believers in some churches, we get so caught up in the things of the world, we're no different than anybody else. God didn't call us to be like Diet Coke. It's not supposed to be like Diet Church. Diet world. We're not supposed to be kind of like them, you know, just a little bit of less sugar. We're not supposed to be like that. We're supposed to be separate new people created in the image of Jesus Christ, created by the Spirit of God, living holy, set-apart lives unto God. 
walking as the Spirit of the Lord directs our path, our feet, our heart, our minds. The Bible says that God is holy, holy, holy. You can't hit that. But you can be holy. By the grace of God and by the power of His Spirit. If you'll give yourself to God and sit at His feet and listen to His heart, He'll do something in you. You won't need me over there tapping you on the finger saying, hey, hey you, you need to you know, arch your back a little bit. You know, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being like God. Following Him. Living like Him. Loving like Him. Loving what He loves. Hating what He hates. This next verse, it says that, that, that we are called by the, by the mercies of God to present, uh, to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2 says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So many times people say, I don't know what the will of God for my life is. It's right there. To live a holy life. To give yourself over to God. And to not be conformed to this world. But to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I want to talk to you tonight about that. What does it mean to be conformed to something? To be conformed means you get squished. If you ever make cookies, you have a cookie cutter that, that the cookie sheet, they conform to whatever image that is. Maybe a dinosaur or a star or whatever it is. You might find dinosaur cookies at our house or something. But that dough conforms to whatever image it is. And when the Bible says don't be conformed to this world, you have to understand this world is putting you in a vice like a cookie cutter because it wants you to look like the spirit of this age. It wants you to act like the spirit of this age. It wants you to let, let your children do what the children of the age do. It wants, you to, it wants you to go and do what the people of this generation go and do. It wants to conform you to its own agenda. And I promise you it's not a good one. The wages of sin is death, death, death. And so this conformity, I want you to see something though. It says to, to not be conformed to the world, but look at the next verse. It says, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, you know the problem right here? It's a vast number of us, vast number of quote unquote Christians. We know that we're not supposed to be conformed to the world. But we're stuck in between these two phrases. We're vacillating between not being conformed, but we're not giving ourselves to God and allowing the Spirit of God to transform us. And I want you to know that it'll create in you frustration. You'll get to the point where you're exasperated because you can't maintain this religious life. Can I tell you something? The religious life was never meant to be lived in your strength. It can't. And if the enemy can lie to you and get you to a point where you're vacillating, you know that it's wrong to do this, but you don't give yourself over to God in this way. 
You'll vacillate between not being conformed, but not also being transformed. And that's no man's land. That's the, that's the place where you will live in this frustrated, exasperated place where there's no joy, where there's no power, where there's no victory, where there's no peace, and you're not who God called you to be. You're just indifferent. You're indifferent. This is where we, we get into this religious balance beam life. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And, 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 and if it's a powerful service, we're power. If it's a weak service, we're weak. If, if, we, you know, if the pastor don't pat us on the back and send us potpourri and mail us flowers and cards and candy and pump us up, then we're falling away. This religious balance beam life is exactly where the devil wants to render you at. So that you'll be ineffective without joy, and without victory. And that you'll be a constant war in your mind between yourself and what God wants for you. It'll birth in you religion without relationship. It'll birth it in you. In other words, you'll get comfortable there. You'll get into a habit. You'll, you'll habitually get religious but not have the reality of the relationship with God. And you know this, but I'm just preaching what the Lord's given me. But it is the relationship that God desires with you. God didn't die on the cross to make you religious. He died on the cross to make you righteous. So that you can live and commune with Him and dwell with Him. So that you can know Him and love Him. And be made into His image by His Spirit. So that He can walk in you and talk with you and live in you in the Holy Spirit. And we see in this verse, we see something very powerful. It says, it says that we're called to be transformed. How do we get transformed? By the renewing of our minds. In other words, you can, you can, in reality, not expect to ever be transformed until you're willing to let the Word of God and the Spirit of God change your mind. There's a battle between your ears. And we have to get into that place where we understand that the, if the devil can do anything, he will, he will try his dead level best to lie to you in between your ears and in your heart. He will call to your remembrance sins that God's done forgot about as far as the east is from the west. The devil will bring up something that God's already forgiven you of. He'll bring up your past. When God has brought you into the present by His Holy Spirit. And you have to be in that place where you allow the Spirit of God and the Word of God to renew your mind. Otherwise, you'll get back into that old habit of that old nature of the old man. Each and every one of us have that battle between the flesh and the spirit. We know that, 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 that the, the, 
The flesh is willing, but, you know, I mean, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, as Jesus said. And, and, and Paul talked about there's that war between the flesh and the spirit. They lust at one another. If, if the flesh is actually lusting against the work that God's doing in us, shouldn't we hit our knees more? If we truly believed that, what Paul said is true. That there's, a, there's an enemy in me, that old man, and he's lusting against what God is doing in me. Then I should be, nobody really has to tell me, Brother Kenny, have you prayed today? If, if I truly understand this reality, I won't need somebody pumping me up and pulling me. I won't need somebody prying me and priming me. I won't need productions. I'll get into a place where I desire God. Because I know that the devil's against me, my flesh is against me, but if God be for me, they're defeated in Jesus' name. Amen? Paul went on to say that if you'll walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, that you know, that's old school. That, that, that's a little bit outdated, Brother Kenny. I mean, God don't expect us to, to not watch MTV and HBO and Cinemax and, 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 you know, laugh at those things. I mean, you don't understand. Back then, it was different than today. Today, we have to, you know, kind of adapt to the way that the world is wicked today, Brother Kenny. No, we don't. No, we don't. God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same. That means that the same God that, that, that did an amazing work in the disciples is the same God that brought revival down through the last 2,000 years. He's the same God that can bring revival in your heart. You know, the revival starts with us. You can raise up your hands and say, revival starts with me. Don't, it, it don't do us any good to have revival with so-and-so church or so-and-so church if it don't start with me. It's got to start with us. It's got to start in our hearts. It's got to start in our minds. It's got to start with us. And so he says, don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind is one of those things where, as I said, we need the Spirit of God and the Word of God to wash us, cleanse us, and remind us of His precious promises. One of the things that, that the devil will do often is bring up your past. As I said, let me show you something in Exodus chapter 8, uh, Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel chapter 18. One of the things that we see in the church world today is there's, there's a, a, a lackadaisical spirit when it comes to getting fully right with God. Did you know that God didn't just come to plug up your holes where you're leaking? He came to make you new. A lie of the devil is that, that you just need a little repair. No. You need to be made new. Amen? We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. Amen? Old things supposed to be passed away. He didn't say he came to, 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 to stop up a leak. 
God came to make us new. In Ezekiel 18, beginning in verse 1, Ezekiel says, The word of the Lord came unto me again, saying, What mean ye that you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel? In, in, in other words, there was an old saying. There was an old saying. The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means that the that proverb means that, that however the daddies lived, the children going to have to suffer for it. Spiritually speaking, he's talking about generational curses. Spiritually speaking, he's talking about somebody saying, well, you know what, pastor, uh, I, I, I can't change my temper. My daddy had a temper. My mama had a temper. My daddy was a drinker. I got drug, drug, overdose on drugs throughout my family history. I, I got a history, you know, my, my daddy was, a, 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 you know, involved in this cult. And my daddy was, uh, or my mama was this, or my daddy was that. My grandpa was this. God looks at you for you. God was telling Ezekiel, you tell them that he's doing away with this saying. And if you'll read all of Ezekiel, it's very powerful. We don't have time to read all of it, but we're just going to get, we're going to just crack open that nut just a little bit. I want you to see this. God does not hold the children for the father's sins. Why am I bringing this up? Because you got to get that out of your mind. You'll never be transformed until you get your mind renewed. You don't have to be who your daddy or your mama was. Your future is not set in stone by somebody else. And it's not set in stone by your past. God gives each and every one of us an opportunity to come to him and be made new. Old things passed away, all things new. Verse 2, verse 3 uh, it said at the end of that verse, the fathers have eaten the sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. You see the spiritual connotation there? Verse 3, as I live, saith the Lord God, you shall not have occasion anymore to use this proverb in Israel. They use this proverb, but can I tell you something? The devil still uses it. God told Israel he was going to do this so that they couldn't use that anymore, but it's still in the tool bag of the devil. He said in verse 4, Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. It's plain. God's not going to hold no child for what the Father did. And if you'll read the context as he goes on, he's not going to hold the Father for what the child did. And if the wicked person changes and repents, he's not going to hold their past against them. But if the righteous person begins to be wicked, he's not going to continue to call them righteous. That's what we do. But God don't see it that way. Look down in, in the rest of this passage at verse number 23. God said, now this one's a tough one for Calvinists to get. So, 
He says in verse 23, Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die? Said the Lord God, And not that he should return from his ways and live. Do you see God's heart? God doesn't want people to perish and go to hell. God doesn't want people to, to die without calling on the name of the Lord and being saved. God, it says in Peter, God's not willing that any would perish. That's not his heart. And look at the next verse. He said, but when the righteous turn away from his righteousness and committeth iniquity and doeth according to all the abominations that the wicked man doeth, shall he live? All his righteousness that he had done shall not be mentioned in his trespass that he had trespassed and in his sin that he has sinned in them shall he die. What does that mean? That means that God holds us according to our present conditions. It's not the past, it's the present that God's looking at. In other words, God's not looking at what you did five years ago. He's looking at who you are right now. It, 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 like I said, in another passage in this, he reverses it. And he says, if a wicked person, if a wicked person turns and repents and begins to do that which is righteous, will, his, will he hold him to his wickedness? No. God doesn't look at five years ago. He looks at now. Now, if you're still in that sin and it's still unconfessed and you're unrepentant, then you're still in it. The way that we get out of sin is by coming to the Lord and repenting and confessing that thing and pleading the blood of Jesus to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness as God says in 1 John 1 and 9. God doesn't wink at sin. It must be confessed and repented and the blood must cleanse us. That's what he says in 1 John 1, 9. And he doesn't change. And so we have a desire and we have a need and we have an urgency in our own lives. If we're going to have a mind that is transformed, if we're going to have a renewed mind, we must understand this principle. Don't let the devil lock you into your past. Don't let the devil define you by who you were. And if, if you're in a place of unrepentant sin, don't allow the devil to keep you away from the feet of Jesus. Your only hope and your only help is to come and fall down at Calvary and confess that thing, repent of that thing, and plead the blood of Jesus for mercy for your soul. And God is merciful. He will cleanse you. He will forgive you. And He will forget it as far as the east is from the west. God's mercy is available for all those that come to Him by faith in what Jesus did. This principle is one of those things that God uses to help us stay in a place in a, where our minds can be renewed. How vital is it that our minds stay in this place of expectation, not, not, not being locked into what we were, but who we are, holding to God's hand today. I needed God yesterday, but I need Him more today. Can you hear that? I needed God five years ago. I needed Him ten years ago, but I need Him more today. 
And so we'll pick up this principle, we'll, we'll grab this principle from Paul. He, he comes out in Philippians chapter 3. Let's turn over to Philippians 3 and, 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 and see what Paul says about it over here. But if, if we stay in that place where we allow our past to define us, good or bad, we'll get complacent and cold and hard-hearted. And we'll get into a place where we're no longer presenting ourselves to God. A living sacrifice. Where we're no, not, no longer allowing the fire of God to touch our souls and cleanse us and expose us if we need it. We'll get into that place where we're comfortable, which is a dangerous place for a Christian to be. We'll be, as I said earlier, on a balance beam of religion, teeter-tottering between trying to not be conformed to a wicked world but not having the power in our own right to be transformed. This is the dilemma that is only solved by the Holy Ghost. Only the Holy Ghost can take you from, from that, that balance beam of religion into walking in victory. This is why God sent the Holy Spirit. So that you can be a witness. So that you're not stuck on that balance beam of religion. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Oh, I, I'm trying this and I'm trying that. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and give you the victory that you desperately need and know that you don't have if you don't have it. In Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse number 12, Paul says here, uh, he said, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. Paul wasn't perfect. What do you mean Paul wasn't perfect, Pastor? Well, spiritually he was, sure. He was right with God. He, he was in Christ. He was in Christ. But, but the word perfect here means completed. In other words, the journey's not over. That's what he means there. This word perfect means that you've come to the end. It doesn't mean perfect like, ah. Oh. It means perfect as in complete. So what Paul's saying is, he's not finished. You're not finished. If you're still alive, you're not finished. E.M. Bounds, I, I was sharing this with, with, with somebody the other day. E.M. Bounds, he said that the devil's sword is drawn all the way up to heaven's gate. He don't want you to get there. He don't, sure don't want you to have victory on your way. He sure don't want you taking anybody with you. And he will seek to destroy you and kill your joy and kill your victory all the way up to the threshold of heaven. But Paul had this different mentality. Different mentality. He said, not as though I'd already attained. Either we're already perfect. But I follow after. If that I may apprehend that which 
for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. What was he doing, church? He was following after. This is a holy and a hot pursuit of God. Don't stop. If you ever get into a place where you're not holy and hot in pursuit for God, then you're teeter-tottering between not conforming to this wicked world but not having the power to be transformed by the Spirit of God. You're in religious limbo. And if you stay in religious limbo for too long, the frustration and the exasperation will cause you to throw your hands up. There's no victory in that. There's no joy in that. Joy only comes by the Holy Ghost. Victory only going to come by Him. How are you going to try to do what only God can do? So he says that he follows after. This is a holy and a hot pursuit for God. In other words, everything about me is focused, founded on my love, my devotion, and my going after Him. Following after. You, you, you don't have to really, you know, go too far into that. But you and God know your motives for everything that you do. God knows why we go where we go, why we do what we do. God knows those things. And he knows if we're doing them because we're following him or whether we're following our flesh or whether we're following the devil. God knows our motives. God knows our motives. But Paul said he was following after. I, I would just say this. If Paul had to follow after God, I, I probably do too. If, if Paul had to live in a, in a state of following after God, we, we probably do too. We probably need to get in that mindset where there's no, there's no stop. There, there's no quit. There's no sitting our feet up on a, on, in a hammock in Jamaica. You see some of this generation today raising money to go on mission trips. What they do, they play volleyball on the beach. Come on. This is our, this is our mindset today. I love reading the old saints and, man, some of those people, it just, it just will blow your heart away. They, they, some of those missionaries bought a one-way ticket to a jungle. One way. You heard that right. How are you going to get home? They not. They died in the jungle. C.T. Studd, when he got saved and he got filled with the Spirit of God, he was a wealthy, wealthy man. And he systematically went through his bank with his wife and they wrote $1,000 to this church, $1,000 to that church, $1,500 to this church, $1,500 to that church. He said he looked, he still had more. He called up General Booth who founded the, the Salvation Army and he, he signed off everything else he had to him. He said, I'm emptying all of my worldly treasure so that I can have heavenly treasure and I'm going to the battlefield and I'm not coming back. And, 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 and we see a different mindset in this generation of the church. But Paul had to follow after. These great men and women of God before us, they followed after. One dear lady that was a missionary, she sold all that she had 
She wasn't even married yet. Never, never married, never had kids, never did any of that. She, she sold all that she had and bought a ticket to China. What you going to do there? She's going to preach the gospel and die. That's what Count Zizendorf said. This is the man that started the Moravian Revival. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. That's the charge he gave to everybody. How are they going to remember you? Isn't your name supposed to be on the fellowship hall after you die? Isn't this supposed to be so-and-so's memorial hall? These people were more concerned about following God, about following God, laying it all out for God. Paul's, Paul here, he says, to, to, to follow after. That's his charge, and I believe that if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for us. In the next verse, we're, I'm going to read 13, uh, 14, and 15, and then we'll close in verse 15. He says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before. Why is that in there? Do you think that the devil ever whispered to Paul, aren't you the, the killer of Christians? Do you think that the devil will ever whisper to you some of your past? Some of your failures? You didn't, you didn't do this right. You didn't do that right. You never went here and you never went there. And don't you remember what you did? I believe that the devil whispered in Paul's ears. And he said, and, 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 and not even in a negative sense, also in a positive sense. He's forgetting what was so that he can be what God wants him to be. In other words, he's not holding his hat on what he did for God yesterday. Well, last year I put an extra 20 in the offering plate. Don't live on that today. Whatever you did for God, do it for God. Don't let your left hand know what the right hand does. Forget about it. Give it to God and move forward in Jesus' name. Be who God wants you to be today. Don't be who you was yesterday. You're supposed to be growing in God, growing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Being transformed means you're continually moving forward in the way that God wants you to be. A transformed individual is a, is a, is a spiritual living entity. Not a museum piece. Not a museum piece. In this verse right here, he said that he was reaching forth to the things that are before. What's before you? Whatever you're following after is what's before you. You must be able to forget failure and ever to in, in you. You must forget failure in order to move forward. They say some of the greatest inventions and inventors would fail. Thousands of times. I think they said Thomas Edison had like somewhere like 6,000 failed patents for the, for the light bulb. But you know, in order to continue moving forward, you got to forget your failure. And I don't know anybody that's never not failed God. I love you, but I love you enough to tell you that. We, we, we've all, we've all grown cold or complacent or so. It's the nature of, of, of the life. 
The Spirit of God in us, but we're in a house of flesh. It's a battle. But he said he was forgetting those things. Why? So that he can move forward. Don't, don't allow your mind to get set in what you were or what you did. But be who God made you to be today. The only way that we're going to have our mind renewed is to let the Word of God and the Spirit of God wash our minds, cleanse us, and, and begin to, to help us to rethink who we are. And this is the way God does it. This chapter right here will help you out. And in this, last, in this last two verses, he says in verse 14, he said, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus just so that no uh, you know, mumbo-jumbo body will get out there and, un- and, and think differently. Paul said clearly, profoundly, he wasn't just following after religion or he wasn't just following after being a better himself. He wasn't trying to do better to get better, but he was pressing towards Jesus. Jesus has to be what we preach. Jesus has to be the foundation of the church. Jesus has to be the message that is on our lips and burning in our hearts. When we go out into the streets, it is to give the world Jesus. When we go and we lay hands on people and pray for people, it is to give them Jesus. Everything that we do and who we are and everything God's called us to be is founded and centered on Jesus. Everything, you know, when they start taking the crosses down in the church and they start no longer saying the name Jesus and they start doing this, that, and the other, we know we're in a bad place because He is the foundation of the church. Without Jesus, we are nothing. We'd rather talk about this, that, and the other. Here's your proverb for daily living. Here's Here's your foundational principle to be a better motivational person. Here's how to get rich. But it must be Christ. Christ crucified, Christ resurrected, that we preach. That's how we come to God. And that's how God works in us. Jesus lifted on high, suspended between heaven and earth, the mediator between God and man. The God-man Christ Jesus. And he says here in verse 15, as we close in this verse, he said, let us therefore, let us, let us. He's including you, right? (laughs) He's including me, all right. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. Again, the word perfect there means complete. Meaning you've come to the place that God wants you to be. You're all that God wants you to be. If you're thus minded, if, if you'll be perfect, you'll be thus minded. And if in anything you be otherwise minded, God will reveal it to you. In other words, this is the mindset for you and I to live in so that we can be transformed by the power of God. This is the mindset. And if we're not living in this kind of a mindset, A, we're not going to be transformed. We're going to be in religious limbo or we're going to be conformed to the way that the world wants us to be. I promise you, the devil's plan for you is not good. God's plan for you is good. 
and he will work exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. He will do more for you than you could ever imagine. He will do more in you and through you than you could just set your heart upon right now. God, with him, all things are possible. But it is, it is incumbent upon us to understand that if we don't have that mindset, we must come back to God and say, Lord, reveal it to me. He will. That's what he said. If we're double-minded in anything, God will show you. If, if you're not having a renewed mind, it's because somewhere or another we're double-minded. We know that God can forgive us. We just don't have that forgiveness yet. Or we know that we're not who we were. We just don't believe it. Or we, we know we shouldn't do this, but we're doing that. That double-minded person that's unstable in all their ways will never have their mind renewed. Thus, they'll never be transformed. And if you're not transformed, like I said, you're, you're going to be stuck. You're either going to be balancing on a religious beam or you're going to just be all the way over there conformed to the devil's desire. This evening, follow after God. Forget failure and press toward Jesus. And God will renew your mind. And then you won't have to go to a conference or wear a t-shirt or buy a DVD that says you're transformed. You will be transformed in Jesus' name and by his power. Lord, we bless you.